0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Documentary Photography Review Podcast. My name is Chris King, and in this episode I speak to photographer Freya Nayada. We talk about Freya's work, with a particular focus on our Strawberries in Winter project, which explores modern farming practices that ensure seasonal produce is available in European markets all year round. We also talk about the value of portfolio reviews and competitions when starting out as a documentary photographer, and doing so throughout your career in a strategic fashion. I personally have never paid for a portfolio review, but I have to say that Fry's words have convinced me that they are of real benefit, but definitely agree that there is a real need to choose carefully and strategically when deciding who you obtain a review from, and to maximise the benefit gain for the money spent. We also discussed the need to build a network to promote and support your evolution as a photographer, both offline and online, and the benefits of doing so, from gaining feedback to helping you make a crowdfunding campaign a success. Show notes, as always, can be found at documentaryfotoreview.com forward slash interviews, and then navigate to the page for this podcast. And now, from an interview with Raya Niyata. Enjoy. So, first of all, you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself and sharing a little about your journey into documentary photography.
1: Yeah, um, my name is Freya Nayade. I was born in Germany, and I'm living now in London for seven years. And I basically came to photography and documentary photography relatively late because my first degree was as a special needs teacher. But I always did photography aside, on the side. But yeah, it never really occurred to me to do it professionally and after i studied to be a teacher i went to to the u.s to san francisco and i lived there for a year and i took photography classes there and then i kind of felt okay this is what i really want to do
0: right.
1: and yeah i went to london and start, did a master's in documentary photography here mm-hmm.
0: that was uh, in 2009 at yeah. lcc wasn't
1: it exactly yeah 2009 yeah photojournalism and documentary photography. Mm.
0: And did that prepare you for the road ahead?
1: Um, It kind of did, I think, um, in order to pursue projects. I did feel like I learned quite a lot um, how to approach a project and how to, yeah, do a story. Um, But I think I didn't feel prepared in terms of yeah, making really money f- with it right. or to get exposure. Um, I think this whole business side of it, it's something I learned in the last years and I'm still learning. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this whole part of, yeah, promoting yourself, I don't know, writing emails, this whole so- social media part, mm-hmm. networking and all these things. I.
0: So what are the measures that you take then? Like... Um in terms of networking, social media, and, and how, do you, how do you initiate any sort of contact with editors and the likes?
1: I think once I finish a project, like I, yeah, I, I approach editors and, and tell them, show them my new work. Um, then I go to portfolio reviews. I try to, yeah, be more on social media, like mm-hmm. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I think this is something Facebook I'm already on for a few years, but I think especially Twitter and Instagram is something I'm, yeah, trying to do more. And I think in general it's something I'm pushing myself a bit to. It's not, not something which necessarily comes naturally to me,
0: No, uh, but, but, I, but I do
1: think it's quite important.
0: Right. Yeah. I was just going to ask, so do you think, what, why do you think it's important? What benefit do you think there is for uh, us as photographers?
1: I think for one is to be in contact with others to see what others are doing, what's going on. Um, But I think also, unfortunately, we we live in a society and world by now that you kind of have to show that you are doing a lot.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. It is something I think one can find annoying, but I think if you don't do it, it's I I think you kind of have to do it in, in this time.
0: Right. Right. There's an expectation there that you're going to be present in all these different platforms and you're yeah. sharing your work on it?
1: I have the feeling it is like that.
0: Right, And so you, you mentioned that um, you get in touch with editors after you've got a body of work, after you've completed a project. Is there any time where you will pitch something to them um, and hope that they might commission that? Or is it purely something that you'll develop the idea, you'll go out there and you'll explore it in your own time and and um, at your own expense and then just hope that an editor somewhere will uh, pick it up and and go with it.
1: Um, I think initially it's like that. That I All the projects I started, I started with my initiative, with my idea, and I just went and I did it. And then because my projects are mostly over a longer time, so when I first went, then I show it to editors and then they get interested and then I'm telling them, so I'm going back next summer. is this maybe something you, you could imagine publishing, and if so, what would you like? Is there maybe something you would like me to focus on?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or, like, for instance, w- what happened now is that I, uh, this series I'm currently working on, Shifting Grounds, mm-hmm. which is uh, shot in East uh, Germany. Um, so I'm still working on that story, and I was planning to go in two weeks, and um, a German magazine... Is interested in that, and basically, I'm doing kind of like the, a similar story with a writer. So it's it's it goes in that direction. It documents that area, but it's not like that. They just use the pictures I already have. If that makes sense. So I'm developing mm. something on the back of the project I'm already having.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So so you would you would basically you would get so far with your project, and then you would start initiating contact with editors uh, across the globe who might be interested. Obviously, targeting. Mm-hmm. those publications that would be interested in the story, the the type of story and, and the subject matter. But then you are perfectly prepared and, and it's your intention to then explore it further and, and go down particular avenues based on their feedback.
1: Well, I think m- maybe I would do something additionally for them, mm-hmm. as I will do now. It's mm-hmm. not like that someone would say, oh yeah, whatever, like if you think of my Strawberries in Winter project, oh, I would love this story if there would be people in it. Mm-hmm. So. I would probably go continue my project and then would have some shots with some people in it for them. But yeah. I wouldn't change now my project because, like an editor tells me, it would be more interesting if there are people in it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think this is also something I've done so far this way. I th- this way, I think by now, like grant- grants and or like Kickstarter campaigns, something like that. I think this is another route I'm taking in order to raise funds. Mm-hmm so i think in the past i have um financed a lot of the first initial trips myself and i think now it's more like okay i'm trying to get some funding i'm going i'm showing it then the editors Mm -hmm. Um, but i think this idea um, that i have i have an idea for a story and someone will say oh that's a great idea yeah we give you this money go i think it's uh, mostly not happening especially yeah, it's not happening anymore and especially if you're not so established. I think now I'm building slowly up relationships but I think after my master's that there was no way someone would would commission me.
0: Mm-hmm. You know you say it, it has been a real journey since uh, completing your master's in 2009 in terms of understanding how to generate business and how mm-hmm. to market yourself. So what were your initial steps when you first left and, and how have you kind of um, built up that your reputation and um, your network?
1: I think it was. I think I mainly have really the same roots. Like basically, that when I left, I sent it to a lot of blogs just to get somehow exposure. Mm-hmm. And then I sent it to, entered a lot of competitions and uh, yeah, I went to portfolio reviews and um, as I said, went to. Um, contacted editors and then parallel i tried to generate an income with like anything photography related also Mm
2: -hmm.
1: doing weddings things like that but actually after a while after the first year i did feel it was quite stressful and i felt like after one year that i was hardly producing any work anymore Mm -hmm. so i basically started part-time teaching again because i as i said I, i did my first uh, degree in special needs teaching. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, basically I started then teaching two days per week again,
2: right.
1: um, which kind of like secured me some sort of income and then, yeah, opened my head again for, for photography and the photography world. Mm. S- and I think so far this um, combination had worked for me quite well. Now, actually in the last year, I've, been com- I've done quite a lot of commercially photography so I've done a lot of architecture photography lately and other yeah, commissions, and so that I feel, yeah, I might actually don't need, need that anymore with this school.
0: Right, yeah. And just briefly uh, touching upon the whole uh, portfolio reviews, you obviously feel there's benefit from them. What would you say is the benefit of um, paying all that money for a portfolio review. Is it always worth it or have things changed because maybe it was different when you were starting off to how it is now in terms of what you get for uh, the investment?
1: I do think it's worth it to do it. Um, I think obviously there's so many different portfolio reviews and prices range, range from two. But from my experience also trying to contact people, getting your work seen and I think if you, for instance, somehow have 200 pounds spare and you can, whatever, go to Derby and see 10 people with that, for me it was kind of like an investment I preferred. I think sending emails is also just so successful, like if you try to be in contact with with the editor of the Financial Times or or, um, Guardian, I think it is very, very difficult that they actually pick up your emails, they Mm. look at your work, they take the time. So my experience has been has been quite good.
0: Mm-hmm. So some really focused feedback and focused
1: feedback, but also really networking, like to right. to meet people, to exchange contacts. So you have their email address, and then if you if you if you send them their work, uh, the work, they will, yeah, respond to it. Okay. Um, or they might even publish it.
0: So you think by going by going to those portfolio reviews assuming that the person in front of you is an editor, then off the back of that face-to-face contact, they're more likely to firstly respond to any sort of communication, subsequent communication, but then also more likely to publish you.
1: I think so. I mean, I think they're like, I don't say this is like for sure happening. No, of course And yeah. I think also I have a lot of experience of like People saying, oh, I love your work, that's amazing, yeah, email me, yeah, this is like the best work I've seen, this review. Mm -hmm. And then you email them and and you don't hear anything anymore. So, I mean, whatever, still you had good feedback, but of course, nevertheless, you feel afterwards a bit like. So I think by now, I go there and I feel, if six people tell me they love my work, um, probably like three people will email me back. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't think you have to go to these portfolio reviews all the time, but I think if you, for instance, go... I don't know every two years once, or like
2: mm-hmm.
1: maybe sometimes once a year depends how much really depending also how much new work you are having. Yeah. I think if you have have always the same project and you tour around with that, it doesn't make so much sense but yeah. and also, I think at some point you will reach a level that you probably have met quite a lot of people and and you don't really feel you need that anymore,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I think initially, especially if you start out, I do think it's it's quite a good thing and Again, I think one can be very critical about it and it is, in a way, said it is like that, that that you have to pay someone to look at your work and to have a conversation. But I think if you're in this position that you want to have this conversation, it I think it does make things easier.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And based on your experience, which you've mentioned, uh, Derby, mm-hmm. um, so the Format Festival, are there others that you would recommend? Would you recommend Format? or? Uh, yeah,
1: I, I think... Format is, is is first of all a very nice uh, photo festival. Mm-hmm. And I think also living in the UK it's just like um economic economically um easier mm-hmm. to get there. Right. Yeah. Then there's of course Aal, which I think is also reasonably priced compared to others.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um also I think in Aal because there's so many people and there's f- from that world, I think in general that's quite a good space mm-hmm. place right. to network with others yeah but i mean yeah i don't know i i don't say like go to all those portfolio reviews which which they are and i think one has to be very careful and very conscious about which ones you are picking picking and how often you're going and mm. what you get from them but i think yeah i think if you start out and you go to one or two portfolio re- reviews at the beginning of your career i think that's would be a good investment.
0: <laughs> right, okay. And in terms of competitions you say that you also submitted your work to lots of competitions. Do you think that is also of real benefit, um, throughout your career to, to do that? The reason the reason why I ask is because I I have issue with the fact that there are a lot of really good competitions out there, but they are funded by not so pleasant organisations necessarily. So there's um, a recent environmental one that has the one
1: with which is sponsored by uh what's the name M- monsanto Syng- syngenta yeah, yeah that's like i just guess already chicken skin <laughs> yeah i mean this is like the biggest joke in the world mm-hmm. and um yeah i found it quite shocking because i also got contacted by them mm-hmm. i don't know where they got this uh, my email address from but they obviously somehow saw my work and they were like yeah we have this competition and i mean not totally personal. I I probably many many people got it but Mm. still I was kind of shocked that I thought like wow and I really couldn't believe it and then also seeing this uh, competition being promoted by so many professionals in the photography world um, yeah was very shocking for me Mm. so I haven't entered that one no (laughs) I I didn't either and and
0: because of that uh, as soon as I find out more about them and they are you know uh, Monsanto is trying to buy them out Mm -hmm. so trying to merge with them so yeah, I just I feel that if you've got strong principles and, and you're not not willing to compromise on them, then it uh, limits your potential in terms of actually getting your work into competitions because so many of them are uh, sponsored and and supported by companies that may have well
1: dubious reputation. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yes, that's
0: it. <laughs> that was the phrase I was I was seeking. So yeah, I think I think it means that it's it's become limited would you agree or are there particular ones that you that you would always enter every year
1: I think it also becomes quite limited um, that I feel some of them are also just money making of the photographer if you see certain entry f- entry fees and if you see actually what you're getting out of the competition mm. so I think again the same with the portfolio review I think you have to be very careful where you enter mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know if you pay like 60 pounds entry fees and then you have to ship your picture to to the US for, you get it printed here, you have to frame it, you you ship it to the US and it's in in some remote gallery somewhere where no one really sees it. So I think, yeah, you have to ask yourself, does that make any sense? Hmm. But there are also others, as I say, where I feel they are quite money-making ventures. So, and I think I'm, yeah, I don't know. I think by now I'm looking really carefully, yeah. What do I get out of it? Like who's the judge? How much is the entry fee? Is there an entry fee? Is there like an exhibition possibly involved? Who's financing this exhibition? Do I have to pay for that? Or is someone else sponsoring it? So I think there are a lot of, yeah, different factors. Hmm. And I'm much more careful.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's unfortunate that um, that that is the case, really. Yeah, you know, it is. It, it is. I mean,
1: uh, and I think the same definitely is also partly happening with portfolio reviews. I think there's mm. a lot of happening in the photo industry that people try to make money off the photographers, which is um, yeah very sad because of course the newspapers, magazines are kind of dying out. So this so this branch is it's more difficult to make money from that. Yeah. So now they look for other people, but I think the photographer should be kind of like the last person mm. people make money from. Mm.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it, it would be nice if everybody actually acted that way, but yeah, but yeah it's unfortunate that it, that's yeah, it's not the case. And so, what, what do you think that we can do as photographers to kind of well, you've said being selective in terms of where you go for portfolio reviews, which competitions you enter, in terms of. Um, what are the implications financial and otherwise. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned crowdfunding. Do you see that as as a real opportunity for photographers to bypass the the kind of the current setup and the current system and that, that dependency on these different outlets and then actually in a very democratic way getting the cash that they need to finance the exploration of a subject and to get it out there in, in whatever format.
1: Um, I think it is definitely a real opportunity, and I think it's it's great. It's there, but I think yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. And I think also, yeah, I don't think this is like how should I say it? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's an opportunity, but you have to really see when you make use of when you can use this opportunity, and if you can use this opportunity. I'm, I did a crowdfunding campaign last year, which was successfully funded. But I did feel it was very, very difficult for me. It was very difficult for me to push it through. And also, I think if you don't have really the personality to do that, it is extremely difficult to be constantly, hey, here's my project, five days left, why don't you buy right. a picture? And I, I found that really, really, I had to force myself, but I thought, okay, right, I started it, now I finish it, and now I push for it. But mm-hmm. I think for some people, it's probably easier. And I think also there's nothing wrong with it. It's not really that you really ask people for money because it's, I mean, you give them something for it. So, But I think if you do it, it feels different. Yeah. I, I would have never thought I w- it would feel like that, but it, it felt quite bad when I did it. <laughs>
0: yeah, but.
1: So I could imagine, for instance, to do it again, but I wouldn't do it. Now that I'm looking for funding for a book, I wouldn't do it now because I did it last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I could imagine to do something like this in a few years'
0: time, maybe again. Right? You think that long before? I don't you
1: know. I just feel at the moment it doesn't feel right for me. Maybe already next year I feel different. But right. I, th- I, I, and I think also there's no rule. I think some people they fund a project and then they want to do a book and they, yeah, they just do it again one year later. I don't mm. think there's like there's a rule. No. no. And I think. But I think just for me, it yeah, it would feel wrong to do it now
0: (laughs) because you feel that you're imposing yourself on these people and that you're asking again exactly.
1: And I think it's probably not the reality, but Mm. yeah, yeah. I think if you do it yourself, it, it it's different than if someone else does it.
0: Yeah, and so how much? was this for a book or
1: it was for a project for the continuation of a project if mm-hmm. you're lucky you get old okay so it basically funded my trip to the US mm-hmm. and yeah continuing this project
0: okay if you don't mind me asking i, I didn't realize that you'd done a crowdfunding campaign mm-hmm. so how much did you manage to raise for that
1: and um, because it was my first one mm-hmm. i had a very low bar. I started like with 1,500 pounds.
0: Right. Yeah. And did you like go well beyond that in terms of
1: um, reaching? It was it? like 1,580 or 1,600. Right. So it was not way beyond that.
0: But okay. Yeah. But w- So what lessons did you learn from the whole experience beyond the fact that it's a challenge and uh, that it, you really have to kind of push and sell yourself and the project, but what other lessons do you think you've taken away from it that you would utilize in the next crowdfunding campaign
1: i think it's very important that you have a social media network before that you are really well connected on twitter mm-hmm. facebook i don't know how, how important instagram is in that case but i think yeah, social media is very very important if you do crowdfunding and i think it's also quite important to build up the crowdfunding campaign that probably already people know that project So they feel, ah, wow, yeah, great, she's going again, let's fund it. Um, I think also in general to fund a product, like a book, is also easier than to fund like the continuation of a project as a trip. Because I think more people are interested in having a final product as a book, opposed to I had prints. And I think also really just being aware how hard it is and how difficult it is. I I would have never thought It is so difficult Um, Mm -hmm. so I think being aware of that I would be also more prepared next time I mean mean, yeah it's it sounds maybe silly but it is
0: (laughs) but when you when you say difficult so beyond kind of that feeling that you're imposing uh, on other people and and having to really kind of uh, sell yourself what what other ways was it difficult
1: I think that's the only way but I think because you have to constantly do it basically for a whole month yeah so I think after a while you're just for you just
0: it feel It's just, you've had enough. Yeah. Right. Maybe if we, if we talk a bit about your work and particular projects that you've been exploring or, yeah, have explored. So the one that I was aware of, first of all, was uh, Strawberries in Winter, mm-hmm. um, where you're documenting modern kind of agricultural practices and the production and supply of fruit and veg all year round. Um, so what motivated you to explore that Subject in particular?
1: Before I started this project, I basically the project was triggered when I came across a picture um, of someone of a contemporary milking parlor. Milking parlor for cows? All ah, right, okay. okay, um, okay. I, yeah, I was really surprised and kind of shocked how high tech it looked. Yes, yeah, so that picture kind of triggered me to look more into where our food is coming from, how it is produced. At that time, I was looking for to start a new long-term project and I felt that this is actually really interesting to find out more about it. Mm -hmm. And that I thought, okay, if I don't know so much about it, probably and I'm interested in it, probably like a lot of other people also find it interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus, plus also that, yeah, I felt we are all somehow connected to this project because yeah, we are. Most of us are consuming these products.
0: And so, how did you how did you go about initiating it? Because you went to quite a few different locations and and uh, different farms producing a variety of different products. So, how did you go about initiating it? And
1: um, firstly, I tried to contact a lot of people by phone and email, and it was incredibly difficult because yeah why i want to come and it was just very complicated like to have a photographer on site and everyone thinks oh my god i just want to expose them and want to make like a horror story about their farm so i felt it was much more successful i mean i found a few places definitely with this research and I made some appointments and I met people, I photographed some farms like that, but I found it much more, it was much more successful just to go, to really go to areas where mm-hmm. I knew there would be a lot of farms and right. just show up and say, hey, hmm. <laughs> I'm doing this project, can I take pictures of, of, of your farm or your greenhouse or... Yeah. And people were generally very easy, they're like, yeah, sure, why not?
0: Right. I suppose well, that's a, a good example of how that human contact is, makes all the difference, really.
1: Yeah, and I've, mm-hmm. I find this something I've learned really for all my projects that uh, I really always try to go somewhere and talk to people rather mm. than to yeah, have lengthy email discussions before. I, I find it much more time effective.
0: Yeah, well, I suppose because it's, ultimately it's about building a relationship with the person and uh, you can achieve so much more. Face to face than you can over emails and the likes, and which is a very impersonal form of communication. Ultimately, and I suppose it, it's all too easy for the person to be very dismissive of the whole thing. And I and, think uh, so,
1: and I think in yes, yeah, I say I, I also felt the same. For instance, when I did the project about old people, I think there's so many. I think as, especially as a photographer, there's so many concerns people are having about letting you into their world. So if if they see you and, and see that you actually seem like a nice person but mm-hmm. they're more open
0: yeah you know you mentioned the fact that people have or the, the farmers and, and the, the companies that you approached that they had this fear that you were going to expose some negative element of their well it oper- was my interpretation yeah. they, they
1: of course didn't say that but I, but no, i no. thought like why would why are they so complicated so i thought they probably hmm. think i want to do something bad
0: but you didn't because uh, you know ultimately the, the work that you've produced is is quite neutral in that respect you know it's very matter-of-fact and very considered and, and static and and with very few people in there so did you go in with an agenda yourself or was it purely just curiosity and i, I just really want to observe and, and document and, and i have no desire to communicate any particular story positive or negative i just want to observe is is that was that your approach or did you have a particular i think
1: agenda? i think my approach was really very much driven by yeah by my curiosity and i didn't have i didn't have an agenda um i think in in the course of the project i consciously made this decision though that i thought okay i want to present it very neutral and i would like that people rather make up their own mind
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah i didn't feel like really i wanted to teach people this or that. So I think it was was a very conscious de- decision. Plus, because I felt the more I learned, the more I felt how complex this whole topic is. Mm-hmm. And so by really combining the pictures, like uh, by having like very neutral pictures, which I try to make beautiful. I, so I try to take beautiful pictures, mm-hmm. um, but very neutral. And then to combine them with a very, um, informative and almost scientific caption about like Mm -hmm. the space and what is done there yeah i really feel like i want to leave the the viewer with with this information they read and with that picture and then
0: so presenting the facts really and not really yes yeah not trying to communicate anything but the facts no kind of subjective element to it which you know i think i think you've been very effective in in achieving that Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it's it's very powerful in that respect because one person will see that work and and be fascinated by the science behind it and the human kind of achievement in terms of hydroponics or whatever system you know it's all very elaborate and all very sophisticated and one person will think wow you know this is amazing this is fantastic look at what we've achieved and then another person will look at it and think jesus this is this is horrific you know Mm -hmm. this is so unnatural And, Mm -hmm. and and i think your work by having taken that approach is is very effective in just allowing people um, to to interpret it as they will. I, I think you've done a really good job in terms of yeah, just presenting it unbiased and, and just in a in a neutral way. Thanks. Um, and so yeah, I think I think it has um, its own strength because of that. And I, I'm sure that if you had introduced a human element and uh, documented maybe activities and stuff, then it would become a very different different body of work and very different dynamic. So I, I can I can understand. I've never I've never approached things like that myself, but I think the way that you did was a very very effective way of doing it, and and I'm sure I'm sure the farmers were also thankful for that approach. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> they
1: it could have been worse for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if they liked it so much though. I didn't get really positive. Comments about it, but also, right. ne- no, ne- mostly I didn't get any comments. Right, okay. I sent them pictures and I think they were like all expecting something different.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, but I think also because this topic is, if it is documented, it's very often documented to one side or the other. Mm. For instance, especially like if you think of the chicken picture, I think there are a lot of, I had a lot of pictures in my mind of, of chicken farms mm-hmm. where you feel basically just shocked and horrified. And I think it is still kind of. Shocking, but yeah I try to yeah as you said try to present nevertheless with some distance and to be more neutral about it:
0: mm. well I think I think by abstracting that particular image you know through the, the long exposure and, and therefore blurring the, the birds, I think you actually took what could have been a very different image into and you, you actually by abstracting it then you made it quite neutral. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um,
1: but I think I know what you mean, though.
0: Good. <laughs> and do you, do you feel? Obviously, what you have on your website is is your own personal edit. Did you document any of the activities at all, or did you purely just take that same approach throughout the entire um, project? Because you know, uh, often often a project will evolve while you're on the ground. So, did you make that decision from the outset, or or did you experiment with different things and then just thought actually. This is going to be the best one for me to get access and to also present work to as wide an audience as possible. What was your process?
1: Yeah, it was, as you say, I definitely experimented at the beginning. And yeah, it wasn't clear for me at all that I would approach this this subject like this. I took a lot of pictures like from different angles and had close-ups and people and portraits even. Um, but I think then it d- did evolve relatively quickly in this direction that I thought after I visited two places that I felt okay that's something something definitely I want to focus on um but nevertheless, I still was experimenting with other things on the side i de- I always made sure I do one straight landscape shot, but I nevertheless continue to do yeah some portraits here and some yeah close ups there but eventually it yeah, it, it felt for me as the strongest edit just to have those landscape pictures and edit all the others out.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And so do you do you ever show those other elements as, as you know, either in a different edit or separately? Just that's it Um
1: I've never done it. I don't know. Mm. It I could consider it. I, I really somehow this is not my edit.
2: Right. Okay. And I mean
1: also because other people don't know the other pictures so no one asks for the others. Right. I maybe it, it could be time to re- revisit them and to mm. think of a new edit.
0: Yeah, it's, it just seems a, a shame, well, it's always a shame, isn't it, really, that we take so many images and, and so many of them just sit on the computer and never get seen?
1: Yeah, it um, is definitely like that, it, yeah.
0: And especially when, when, you know, you document, you explore your projects over a period of like two, three or more years, so you must have a massive body of work. and. There must be so many different potential edits within that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. That, <laughs> it's a shame. I think that it's so, so difficult
1: to make an edit. So once you have an edit,
0: yeah, right.
1: one yeah. is just so happy that you, yeah, I'm just so happy I have an edit. Mm-hmm. And then I mostly move on to a new project. And then, yeah. But I did have this with with another project, um, Hydro Park, I shot, finished two years ago. And this was just published last week in, in, in the Calvert Journal and for that I actually looked at all their pictures again and I was like wow mm-hmm. I don't know why I never show these pictures and they showed a very new edit and yeah, right. which was kind of refreshing
0: mm-hmm. and, and your editing process is that something that you just do yourself individually in isolation or how do you go about editing uh, creating an edit for your projects?
1: Ideally I would have like some friends or people I, I, I trust, who are also photographers mostly, um, who help me. Mostly I do like an edit myself with like, I don't know, 50 images, mm-hmm. maybe even sometimes 100. And then I would ask for feedback from others. And, and I, I, after my master's, I had particularly a very good support group. But by now, like a lot of people are moving away. So it's kind of like shrinking.
0: All right. So, there's still quite a few folk in London, but they've. Yeah, there's still
1: probably like six people left. But.
0: I've heard that a lot actually, and I'm sure it's not limited to LCC, but you know, one of the key benefits of doing um, a master's is the bond that you develop with your fellow students, and, and that usually. Kind of is sustained after the mm-hmm. uh, after you've graduated and, and helps you through those initial years and obviously hopefully beyond. But um, it's obviously been of, of benefit to you too. Then definitely, yeah. I think yeah,
1: as you say, I think this was one of the biggest advantages of doing a master to yeah have this support group and to learn so much from others in my group.
0: Mm-hmm. And are they have they all succeeded or have some of them kind of turned their back on photography and and gone elsewhere?
1: I think, I mean, succeeding is also a very big word. (laughs) I think most of us do something else on the side to also generate some money. Or maybe it's not true, actually. I mean, definitely most of us do something else than documentary photography to make some money. Mm -hmm. Whatever, doing weddings or film or... I think... and, And a lot of people also have stopped doing it at all or a few I don't know I don't really have no numbers in my head but I mean (laughs) it is definitely it feels like that people less people pursue their own projects and do their own work Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely a reality
0: right and so moving forward you know what are you doing to kind of explore other methods of visual storytelling or are you purely just going to focus on stills are you are you exploring the moving image and multimedia
1: I started a little bit and I really would like to do it more but I yeah I haven't I didn't really have the time and chance I think it's quite difficult to focus on photography and to do film
2: mm.
1: When I for instance went to, to the US to continue my project about the old people I also thought like I'm doing some film but it's if you are alone it's it's very very difficult especially if you're in a situation of like you have like a certain amount of time mm and i think it can get very messy so probably the best would be like for me to experiment with here doing something like a project on the side mm-hmm. anyways i'm very open to it and i would like to experiment more with film yep. but i didn't get really the i didn't I haven't made the space for it
2: right
0: yeah there you were mentioning you know the possibility to allow you to do that it would be good to do like a, a project here on your doorstep whereas a lot of a lot of the projects, uh, and obviously, you know, if there's going to be a, a steep learning curve, then you want short projects that, that you can just explore a diversity of different things and, and um, learn as you go along. Do you ever explore short-term projects? Because all all, of, all the projects that you have done have been over a series of years, so do you do any smaller ones? Just out of curiosity or out of desire to explore different things, different subjects or different techniques? No, I haven't. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. I haven't no. done it. I, Yeah, I think most projects then turn out to be long-term projects that I have an idea and I think, oh, that's great, and I'm just doing it, whatever, for two weeks, and then I think, ah, it's not really finished. I want to revisit it. So
0: And three uh, years later. Exactly, three so. <laughs>
1: years later, I'm still working on it. Yeah, I think I prefer long-term projects.
0: Beyond moving image, and the likes of, and multimedia. What are you currently doing to refine your storytelling abilities and your photographic practice?
1: I don't know if it's so much that I develop my storytelling skills, but I mean I'm continue working on two projects, mm-hmm. so hopefully my storytelling skills will evolve doing that. One is the project I mentioned before, uh, which currently has the working title "Shifting Grounds," which takes place in East Germany. Um, which yeah, so I will go this summer there again to continue it, and next year, it will be probably be published as a book. Okay. Um,
0: and can you maybe share a bit about that story and what what it's about? And
1: sure. Like basically, in East Germany, uh, there's a region called Lusatia, and it's a um, mining region since 150 years. There have to there, there were like a lot of forests and heath. And over the last 150 years, yeah, obviously a lot of these forests and heath made space for the mines and also a lot of villages had to be removed. Mm -hmm. And after the unification of Germany, a lot of mines had to close. And so now was, or like 15 years ago, probably there was the thought like, okay, what are we doing with this area? And they had the idea to create um, Europe's biggest Artificial Lake District there. So I went there three years ago to start documenting the process how the landscape is changing because I think it's quite interesting. Um, for one, because this area had to, had a quite bad reputation and now they try to make a tourist destination there. But also, yeah, I think a little bit similar to my project Strawberries in Winter that I'm kind of fascinated by. Yeah, the the power of humans to overturn nature like how they're partly like, that it's like the third ecosystem which is happening there. Like first there was forest and then there were mines and now there are lakes. So for me it talks quite a lot about our relationship to nature. Yeah, that's why I find it very interesting and...
0: And the second project?
1: Um, The second project is still the project about the old people called If You're You Get Old. Mm but I'm, yeah, I'm planning currently for more funding to continue that. Right. But I think in terms of developing my storytelling skills, I think what I really would like to do more is like to collaborate with other people. Okay. I think this is for me something I am quite keen on, that I do feel my limitations as a photographer, and I think it's quite enriching for, for a project if you have a writer you can work with or a filmmaker you can work with. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, and I think like that the story probably can just become better.
0: And so have you tried to initiate uh, collaboration with others?
1: A little bit in that sense that, um, as I mentioned, that the project Shifting Grounds will be published next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm currently working with, with writers to collaborating with writers and also just with the designer to do the book. Yeah, so that's basically in this project. but. Ideally, I would like, with my old People Project, I would already have, during the process, somebody else involved.
0: Right. And how how did you go about finding the writers for uh, the Shifting Grounds Project?
1: I just contacted some people. I... um, Yeah, people who I like, who write about photography. Mm -hmm. Um, Or... My idea is basically that I have someone who writes about photography. Um, and then someone who's from that area, who writes about that area.
0: Okay.
1: And possibly a short story, but it's all quite early days, so I don't really want to give too much information. No,
0: (laughs) fair enough. You mentioned that uh, you're seeking additional funding for the... Project
1: um, with the old people.
0: Yes. How, How are you going about that and what kind of funding are you seeking? How's it going?
1: It's going okay, but not so good because I have at the moment so little time to really pursue it very much. Well, I think I'm focusing very much on organizations which are much more um, focused on age or like social organizations. I find it quite difficult to get funding from photography organizations Mm -hmm. Um, or also i want to apply for arts council funding this is something yes they want to do but i think there are a lot of funds out there for photography and then there, there's like they give away two thousand pounds and i don't know 100 people or 200 people are applying for that Mm -hmm. and i think the chances are quite low so i think to find someone who is interested in social issues or in age Mm-hmm. will be a much better road.
0: Do you know that for a fact? Have you, have you succeeded in finding an organization that uh, will actually kind of work with you to seek funding? Is that the intention, you know, rather than them giving you a pot of money and, and them putting their stamp on it, their logo and, and whatever, is that approach the one they're they're taking or are you kind of coming together and saying, right, um, we as an organization can access that pool of money um, so let's, you and us, work together in trying to get that for this project. What is um, It hasn't gotten taken? so far, but I think, oh,
1: right. I, I, I think I do want to have quite a lot of control of, of how the project turns out. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I think it goes a bit together with what I said at the beginning. I could imagine to maybe develop something parallel for them,
2: mm-hmm. right.
1: with them. But I think nevertheless, I do have quite in my mind what I would like to achieve or how the project should continue, and okay. yeah. And I wouldn't like so much an organization telling me how, how the outcome should be.
0: Right, yeah. And in terms of uh, Arts Council funding, have you ever tried um, to get funding from them in the past, no?
1: I haven't, but I, I do have um, a friend, photography colleague, who has been very, quite successful recently, and okay. that kind of motivated me to
0: yeah.
1: also do it.
0: And now when everybody hears this, they'll all go to the Arts Council <laughs> website. And the chances are very long. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just to, to wrap up, where can people find uh, out about you and your work? And how can they connect with you?
1: Um, on my website, which is fryanayade.com.
0: Okay, would you care to spell that for folk <laughs> just in case?
1: <laughs> um, it's F-R-E-Y-A n-a-j-a-d-e dot com
0: great thank you and where else can folk get in touch or, or follow i mean of course work?
1: like my facebook page mm-hmm. um twitter instagram i'm everywhere so
0: and what are your handles for twitter and instagram
1: it's always friday i can't really oh, remember right, okay. i think it's might be friday friday dot to be honest i'm not so sure about it but i think if you type in the Facebook Freya Nayada or in yep. Twitter okay. I will come up
0: okay great well thank you very much for your time
1: thank you very yeah. much
0: thanks for listening to the documentary photography review podcast hope you enjoyed it and managed to glean some useful advice and inspiration from it once again to find out more about Freya's work go to fryanayada.com that's F-R-E-Y A-N-A jade.com and show notes for this episode can be found at documentaryfotoreview.com forward slash interviews and then navigate to the page for this podcast as always if you'd like to have your work showcased on the website then get in touch with me at chris at documentaryfotoreview.com or submit your work directly via the site if you have any feedback or suggestions for the podcast then again get in touch via email I would love to hear from you Thanks again for listening and please be sure to share this interview with fellow photographers and visual storytellers and be sure to subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher or follow me on SoundCloud. Until next time, take care.